Now, here we go. We're at the heart of worship, the Word of God. And of course, uh, the Word of God is saturated in everything that we want to do here. Um, what would you think if somebody claimed themselves to be a Christian, but yet they stated very soon people would no longer need to take their deceased loved ones to the morgue. Instead, they should be placed in front of the television during the airing of TBN and they would rise from the dead. Uh, what would you think of that guy? He says he's a Christian. Um, another guy believes in the doctrine of exclusion, uh, tries to reconcile Christianity and Islam. Matter of fact, there is a uh, church today in the United States called Chrislam all over the United States. Um, that's uh, coming from a so-called Christian. Um, Later on, I will tell you who these names are. Uh, right now, I'm not. Uh, and this is dealing with the text today. What would you do if somebody who claimed to be a Christian taught that Jesus became a demonic being when He was crucified and had to go to hell and be born again? Uh, same person says that God is the biggest loser in the Bible and says Jesus was not God during His earthly life. Another one um, teaches about um, that Jesus is really not the only begotten Son of God. He is not the begotten Son of God. Um, matter of fact, another one who um, would say that um, Jesus took your place in hell. Jesus went to hell to become the first one born again. This person also said... He stopped being the Son of God, Christ did, on the cross. And another one says, Your words have power and you can release the power of heaven through your words. And this one also said, You need special revelation from God to understand what I'm going to teach you that's not contained in the Bible. (laughs) And also goes on to say that uh, he's no longer a sinner. Another one says that Mormons are Christians and they're going to heaven. And has just lately has said that gays get into heaven. And uh, if if we speak the right words, we can speak into existence something that was not a reality into a reality. Anyway, that's some of the... uh, some of the things that um, are being said in our times, and you remember in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, it says in verse one that we live in actually we do right now difficult times, but that in the last days difficult times will arise. I think that particular time epic is here. We get a list of sins after that from verses two through uh, four. And the context here really is in the church. We're not talking about outside the church. Of course there are people who are lovers of self and lovers of money and boastful and arrogant. That's the unbelieving realm. That's part of their character. But in the church in the last days or for as long as the church has been going on, it started off with that uh, they are lovers of self. And the end of that section where we left off last week is that they really have no love for God. And that's the problem. They love self and don't really love God. They show that. And that's coming from religious people. They appear to be true. They say they are true Christians and yet they can be so empty. These people are church leaders. They teach Bible studies. They're active in ministry and yet they're empty shells. And we know that uh, the reality of a genuine walk will sometimes should be seen. They'll talk a good line. They'll put on a good front. But in their motives, in their lives, in their personal relationships, they are not godly people. So I believe that we live in this time and I believe that as we can turn on the television at any time, 
we can see charlatans, charlatan TV evangelists who offer so much to people, it's called material blessings, to people who are so vulnerable. And so this text that we're dealing with today is really relevant for our time. It wasn't just for the time of Timothy or the time that was going to be coming throughout the ages of the church, which it has, but here we are today, and uh, there are people that are deceiving. I mean literally millions of people in the name of Christ. What do we think? What are we to do? When we have wolves amongst the sheep, right? So last week we, we learned how to recognize false leaders. And we looked at their lifestyles. And uh, of course, it starts with lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, so on and on, right? And that's the kind of lifestyle that one would have if they are these kind of people that we're talking about from this text. And I think in here we can feel comfortable, and we should in the sense that we, we know the Word of God is the focus. Christ is the focus. That's what it's about. And sometimes we can be here, but sometimes we can um, think, well, yeah, I already know this. Let's move on. That's what I'm tempted to do sometimes because how many times have we talked about false teaching? But when you're bound by the Word of God and expository teaching, you have to touch on the things that maybe you think that we don't have to talk about this. And I think everyone here is aware of a lot of the false systems of belief and the corrupt standards and the charlatans that dominate. And I'm telling you, they dominate the Christian realm today, the Christian world. And uh, I think we always have to be on guard, though. It's, it's always a good warning because you can't go in any book, especially the New Testament, where there's not something talking about false religion, false teaching, false prophets. It's an empty religion these people have, and uh, they offer their empty religion constantly. We're not talking about atheists here. <clears throat> We're talking about... And we're not talking about people who would never darken the door of a church. He's talking about people who make a profession of godliness and even lead. That they're called hypocrites. And we have um, whole groups of people that are that way. They don't have an inward reality of God here. So what we're going to try to do is take this text and then take a personal inventory and make sure that any of those characteristics that we looked at last week and that are in the characteristics of uh, false teachers that they're not in our lives. You know, you can be a true Christian and yet have uh, some of these things, you know, whether it be arrogant or a love of money or um, maybe just not self-controlled, some of those things. And what we want to do is be shaped. And we want to realize, not deny the power, but realize the very power of Christ that we have, the Holy Spirit who is in us and that very power who can change us. And so we don't want to be drifting into some kind of form of ungodliness, do we? Uh, and of course, in here it says a form of godliness, uh, but denying the power. So we we must knowingly avoid empty religion and those who propagate it. And we want to be instructed from God's very word at this time. And so we get the blessing of being able to sit here and this morning and um, read this precious word that the Lord has given to us. Why don't we stand? And after picking up um, that area, dealing with the sins, and it ended with rather than lovers of God, they they love pleasure. It it talks about these people. Verse 5, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress. For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your instruction. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit here who resides in us, 
who has sealed us and can help us to understand Your Word a little further. And may we understand our difficult epics, our difficult seasons that we individually go through and then also as the body of Christ is attacked by demonic religions, by occults, by cults and the Eastern religions and all the things and the isms and schisms out there that um, want to destroy people's faith in the true God and then take people away from understanding what the truth is. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I say, this text is um, something that uh, I think we're, we're all very familiar with in getting a warning, getting instruction on this. Next week it will do the flip-flop and show what Paul was. Paul is the great example for all of us to look at. Here is the example not to be doing. And watch out for this kind of thing. All the major cults in church history begin with those who have a form of godliness. They really look godly. They look like they're of true Christianity even. And you can ask, well, how can anyone be duped into following some kind of hypocritical, corrupt leader that Paul is describing here? He's given the the sin list and in those difficult times, he says, how would anybody ever follow that? Have you ever asked that question? Why would anybody follow that? Can't they tell? Can't they see that that's what that is? No, they can't. Not until God opens their eyes. Or maybe they just are denying that there's false of their false doctrine that's being introduced. This is a form of Christianity. It's a form. It's an outside silhouette. Because verse 5 says, holding to a form of godliness. That means it's like it's a shell. On the outside, on the shell, it looks like it's right. It looks like it's good. This, this is nice. Uh, this is great. Um, it, it looks like that. It's the shape of Christianity. Right? And so when somebody says they're a Christian, you say, okay, that's good. But you want some kind of proof, right? Well, these people have no power there, it says. The word there is morphous. Morphous. Outward shape. Outward appearance. It's an undetailed outline. It's a shadow of something. But there's no substance there. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Going back to the Gospel of Matthew. Going back to the very time of Christ walking the earth. In Matthew 23 verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Who's speaking here? Jesus Christ. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. There's that self-love, right? You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. These guys were hypocrites. That's what he called them. Jesus called these guys hypocrites face to face. I'm not so sure if that's the thing that we do is just walk up to people and start calling them hypocrites. It means a play actor. You know, they're putting a mask on them and what they really are not and making them look good on the outside. Then we can go to Titus. If you've been in 2 Timothy, Titus is the very next book. And in Titus 1, 16, Paul says the same thing to Titus. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Is there such a thing as somebody who says they're a Christian and they're really not? Oh, I'd hope not. Yes, there is. It's all over Scripture. Jesus said it. Here Paul says it. We can just go Scripture after Scripture, but um, not enough time. They profess to know God, and that's the key, isn't it? They're professing to know God. That's the key that we want to understand. Satan is so subtle. So subtle. He's a master at this. You know, he never tells the truth about who he really is and what he's about. And the people that are underneath him as emissaries, 
His missionaries never tell you either of what they're about. But they sucker people right into what they're doing. They come in with some kind of paganized form of Christianity that seems so good and they're saying a lot of truth with it, but they deceive that way. They lull people to sleep. They sucker people right in. They're called charlatans of religion. They're religious fakes. They're phonies. They're religionists. They claim to be servants of God, teachers of His Word, and yet they're of the their father, the devil, right? John eight forty four talks about that. They they follow the desires of their father. The Pharisees were the hypocrites. They were the religionists, weren't they? They were as religious as you could possibly get. But yet Christ was telling them they were far from the truth. They were from the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. So we get to the next phrase that we're operating out of verse 5, right? In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, a form of godliness. Godliness is Eusebius. Eusebius, it's a reverence. Um, It's a godliness. It's a form of commitment to the true religion. So they had this form of godliness. It looked right. Uh, Satan's most dangerous attacks that he has against God's people comes from within the church by means of false preachers and teachers who pretend to speak for God, say a lot of things, but they don't get to the real element of who Christ really is. They don't get to the holiness of God. They don't get to that highness of who God is. They don't get to the fact that people are sinners. They fall very short of God. They, they have sinned against the Holy God. And so they, they will not mention those words. That's not part of it. They deny the power. They positively reject the reality. They have the form without the reality. It's not in them. They don't have the life of God. They don't have the Spirit of God. Um, so that's why he said they denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Paul just comes out and says to Timothy, he says, avoid them. Avoid it. Uh, and it means to avoid with fear and terror, knowing that these people could very well come in and eat you up. They could chew you up and spit you out and you'd never know that it happened. Avoid them with a horror. Don't have anything to do with these people, Paul is saying. They're spiritual phonies. They're fake. They're hypocrites. They're liars. And if you look down through... The, the ages, the seasons, the epics. They have sacramental robes. They have the candles. They have the outward appearance. They have the smell in there of incense. They can have all of that kind of stuff. Boy, does it feel religious in here. They come in some kind of rationalistic attire with their intellectual mindset. And they're so incredibly intelligent that they are people are just wooed by them. They have this academic garb about them. They have doctor from uh, such and such institution, from another institution, another institution. I mean, they have a list this long of all the universities they have studied and taught at. Not that that's wrong. That can be very good. Not that any of this is wrong. They have a form of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is good. That means it's straight. But you can be so straight and cold that you have no warmth. Remember, these are some of the epics, the times, the seasons I'm taking from what Luke did back uh, months ago, uh, dealing with that text that we covered last week. But I'm borrowing, I'm taking some of those, the experiential approach. People have an experience, and they weigh that over the Word of God. God told me this. And it turns out to be, well, He's already said that in the Word. Or the fact is, that doesn't agree with the Word at all. And they have this experience. And that is elevated over the Word of God. Apostates. Apostates. They turn, turn away from God. At the same time, calling themselves Christians. Not telling you they're an apostate. <laughs> We're not going to do that, right? Subjectivism. Rather than objective truth, this is objective, right? This is what the object is about. This is what it's about. Subjectivism turns it in on myself. And what this is about me. I go to church because I want to get something out of it. Well, that's, that's good. But 
this is for me. You know, well, it, it should be, that, but, but at the same time, it's really all about God, isn't it? And He has the power in you that will change you. And you can say, yeah, this is about Him. This is not about me. So they lead the church away from the truth. And Paul says later, they get worse and worse. Matter of fact, I think it says in verse 13, but evil men and imposters, there's your hypocrites, imposters, play actors, will, what? Proceed from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. They'll deceive each other. So how do you recognize them? Well, first I think you can look at the list. What's their lifestyle about? We'll get into that. But I think, first of all, what do they teach? How much of the Bible is in their teaching? Do they focus on Christ? Is that what it's about? It should be, right? Do they focus on Christ? Do they explain the meaning of the Scripture that you're reading? Or do they read the text and then go into some kind of subject matter, but it doesn't really tell you anything about who's writing or why he's writing. It doesn't tell you anything about what the words mean. They don't tell you anything about that. They go into some kind of story. They lure you into something. And now all of a sudden they're telling you how you can make yourself a better person. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? We want to be better people. Yeah, we do. But how can we be unless we know who God is and what He is saying rather than, hey, I've got some tips for you. I have some, uh, what, my own stories for you here that can help you. And I, I push this aside. I read this. Now I'm going to go into something that I think I can really help you with. You know, my, my interpretation of the, is this. Well, I want to tell you, my interpretation really isn't much value to you guys. My, my, uh, my interpretation, but the interpretation of what, what the text is meaning is what, what's powerful. So these people, I know love for the truth, they really have no love for God, right? And um, they don't really saturate their lives with Scripture. Do they speak speak the Word of God? Do they give you opinions? Does it turn out to be contrary to Scripture? It sounds like it's contrary to Scripture. Do they deviate? Do they misinterpret Scripture? So that's one thing. What's their doctrine say? What are they really teaching here? Number two is their character. What's their character like? And we've seen some of that. But truth and virtue go together. Truth Virtue. You can't have one without the other. You can't have virtue without truth. And that's why we would say that. But you can't have truth without virtue. Right? If you see holiness there, then you know that, hey, there could be a connection here if really their lives are there honoring God. But if they lack truth, then probably their character will show up. And then number three... How can you tell that they're false? Well, what kind of people are following them? What I mean by that, who do they attract? Are they people of virtue? Are they people of holiness? Are they people who desire to follow God's Word? Is their life surrounded by other Christians and the Word of God? Is that, their desire? Is that the people that, that's following them? Now, we go to verse 6. So it said, avoid these, these people... For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins. What I'm going to do, I told you earlier that I was going to um, give you some names. And I know, I'm not trying to be offensive here. And down through the history of this church, we have mentioned names. The reason is, is because I'm a shepherd here. And I don't want the sheep to be getting some wrong teaching. And here is what you avoid. Because you can turn on the TV today. That's why I say we're in an epic that has never been like this before. Turn on the TV. You can turn on the radio. You can turn on the internet. And all the books that are out. And this stuff is hitting you all the time. It's around. Anytime you look up anything scriptural... Like on on let's say uh, online, 
you might be getting some really good stuff and all of a sudden you can see some stuff that is filthy, terrible. It's just awful doctrine, but you can get some good stuff. So earlier I'd mentioned some things that can you believe that this would be a Christian that would say these things? And so, therefore, all of these names are going to be familiar. I could have given a lot more. Like, I know people would say, well, that's unloving. The thing is, and if you did happen to think some of these guys are pretty good, then I say, uh, you need to really check them out and see what they're saying. Yeah, well, they have a lot of truth, but there are some errors. Listen, when you're seeing errors and multiple, uh, why bother? You know, what did the Scripture say? Avoid Avoid this. Okay, Benny Hinn. Everybody knows, um, the false teacher. He falsely predicted that all homosexuals in America would die by fire in the late teen, uh, 1990s. He predicted that. False. What's the Old Testament say when you have false prophet? Go stone them? Uh, I'm not saying do that. But Paul is saying avoid that. Well, what else has he said? He said uh, that... Uh, uh, he had a crusade in South America in 2002 and he was certain that he would return to America with video footage of Jesus. He stated that very soon people would no longer need to take their deceased loved ones to the morgue. Instead, he said, they should be placed in front of the TV during the airing of TBN and they had rise from the dead. He said that. He meant it. That's not a joke. He meant it. T.D. Jakes flat out denies the Trinity. He would say he would believe the Trinity. That's where he's tricky. But the thing is, he doesn't believe in the three persons of the God, Godhood, which is really what the, the church has been around historically. There, there were councils that came out that uh, scripturally said that is false teaching. They were considered cult, and they were kicked out of the church if they didn't believe in the three persons of God, uh, Jesus. He believes in a modalistic... Yeah, he believes in a Trinity. God was the Father before when Christ came, and then He took the mode of Christ, and so no longer there's a Father. You have Christ, and then, then when Christ ascended, then the Holy Spirit is now the mode. So it operates, it's just really one person. Uh, that's, that's false. Robert Schuller, we are a positive thinking guru, and uh, anything that was essential Christian doctrine, he actually denied. Uh, Marilyn Hickey, word faith teacher, one of her uh, recordings said um, she had a conversation with her billfold, and she commanded the billfold to fill itself with greenbacks. Yeah. <laughs> you guys like that, right? Be careful. What was her name again? Marilyn Hickey. <laughs> Paul Crouch publicly stated that anyone who tests the teaching of any ministers on his programs will go straight to hell. So what we're doing here today, if he's right, I'm going straight to hell. Yeah, I had to test him out years ago. Uh, he openly stated that his desire to kill Christian apologists who point out heresy preached on his stations. Um, Carlton Pearson, he took on the doc. There was a doctrine of exclusion that even uh, T.D. Jakes reprimanded him for. So one false teacher is reprimanding another false teacher, and uh, what that is, he tries to reconcile Christianity and Islam. Claims the two religions are completely compatible. That couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. Uh, one of the largest false ministries that's been in our time here in America. Copeland teaches that Adam was an exact duplicate of God. You know, the man-God theory. Adam was really a, a God. Copeland teaches that Jesus became a demonic being when he was crucified and had to go to hell and be born again. Copeland also uh, specializes in his word-faith teaching. He calls uh, God the biggest loser in the Bible. He says Jesus was not God during his early life. He even said God, the Creator, God the Father, whenever He created this world. Oh, He was uh, he was a pretty tall man, stood something like about 6'4", 6 6 6 6, something like that. I can't remember the exact. But He says, yeah, He has hands and feet just like us. That's That sounds like Mormon doctrine there, doesn't it? Yeah. As God was, we will become. And, uh, Paula White uh, just mangles biblical teaching on the atonement of the cross where He dies on the cross for our sins and she turns the gospel, the true gospel, into a prosperity gospel. And um, she, uh, you get a video on YouTube, and see that she denies that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Joyce Meyer, and you go, oh, oh, no, don't be talking about her now. She's okay. 
Well, she says this, There is no hope of anyone going to heaven unless they believe this truth I am presenting. You cannot go to heaven unless you believe with all your heart that Jesus took your place in hell. He took your place because He had to go to hell first. Jesus went to hell and then paid for our sins there. She teaches that He literally stopped being the Son of God on the cross. He could have helped Himself, she says, up until the point where He said, I commend My Spirit into your hands. At that point, He couldn't do anything for Himself anymore. He had become sin. He was no longer the Son of God. He was sin. I'm just taking quotes. I'm just saying, this is what she said. This is direct verbatim. You can go into her books. You can go on the internet and watch it on YouTube if you like. It's all over the place. Jesus went to hell, became the first man born again. All of these things I'm saying, these are not truths. This is what is stated. And she teaches that words have power. You can release the very power of heaven through your words. So if you say something in a positive sense, you can make it happen. She also claimed one time that she is no longer a sinner. No longer a sinner. She pauses about every five minutes for applause. And if people don't applaud, she's going to say something like, I'm preaching better than you're acting. She wants to get the applause. She talks about herself constantly. She brings in the story. She's the main character in every story she tells. Her ministry lacks accountability. Her doctrine is horrific. Hermeneutics are just flat out horrible. She has a love for money and applause. Joel Steen, enough about him. But uh, lately he's just said that gays get into heaven. It's okay if you're gay. You, uh, you have homosexual marriage and such. It's okay. Uh, you're a Christian. You'll get in. Uh, he says if we open ourselves to God, God will give more things to us. Possessions, material things. And if, here again, word of faith, You speak the word that's not into existence, this thing will come into existence if you say that. And uh, we know that that stuff is, um, that's really dangerous. What's that? That's, that's, oh really? That's new to me. And some of these guys have had that too. So, yeah, truth and doctrine. Or, I mean, truth and virtue. Doctrine and virtue go together, don't they? They sure do. So, that's some of the kind of things that we're talking about. This is heavy in our time, isn't it? They're all over the networks. And if you have cable, man, you have one channel after another. And it's usually not good stuff. Occasionally you'll run into a, like a David Jeremiah or a Charles Stanley or somebody like that that's on, on there. But uh, usually it's not... Not good. That's, those guys are okay. Other guys are mostly not good. So you know you have to challenge the fact of where, where's this at in Scripture? What are they talking about? Um, that's that's why we're here for. That's what this is about. What do they do? Well, they enter into households and captivate weak women. Um, not talking about negatively things on women here, but what they want to do is they, they enter in in duno. They come in stealthily. They creep in. Um, they come in out of this group. They don't look like wolves. They look like sheep. But uh, they creep in. They get into the family. They get into the household. The word in, enter means induno. It means to creep, to worm, to wiggle your way in that area. They sneak in. Jude 4 says they creep in unawares. Jude just before Revelation, verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand, look at this, marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. It just says it all over the place. Here's Jude saying this. Paul says it. Jesus says it. John says it. Second and third John. I mean, it's all over the New Testament, isn't it? And so they sneak in unmasked. They capture people. Uh, weak women, well, some are weak 
for to get converts. Remember, they want power. They want money. They deceive. They, they gain this power and money by having converts. They get these people that are just ready. They're, this is a primary target. They take, uh, take captive weak women. Now, this is not a characterization of women. Okay, We're not saying uh, all women are weak. Not all women are weak women. Not at all. But the women here that he's talking about are susceptible. Matter of fact, we can go on to say men too because the same thing happens. But... Uh, they're, they're unprotected women. Women are to be protected by the man. You look in Ephesians 5. There's a protection there that God has made. And of course, you look at Adam and Eve. There's a protection there. But whenever she was out of the protection, what happened? Right? And of course, you see that in uh, Timothy. And it, and it talks about uh, she was deceived. But Adam is the one who, you know, then he, you know, he, he sinned there. But... Uh, Vulnerability, unprotected. Uh, false cults have gone after weak, defenseless women for centuries and centuries and centuries. They can be very vulnerable if they don't have that protection. And it can be coming in from the radio. It can be coming in from the TV with uh, the satellite. The Internet. All the things that coming on there. The word weak women. And it comes right into the house, doesn't it? These guys don't even have to pop into the house anymore. It comes through the airways and such. So they can be feeble. The, the word there means easy prey. It means little women. They're defenseless. So Satan's strategy that he has always used is doing the same thing. He deceived Eve. And so therefore he does the same thing. He, ch- he chooses to spread falsehoods. uses the same method. And... Uh, you know, the women need protection. If they, you know, first to be with the, uh, their fathers whenever they grow up, um, then uh, they get married. Their husband is a protector, and uh, then if they are widows, then the the relatives are to protect them. Watch over them, and the church is a protection. The church is a protection for all of us, so there's a lot of protections for all of us. You know, we get people pray for us. Isn't it great to be inside of a fellowship where people do care for you? You know, they want to know how you're doing and if you're battling some kind of physical ailment or some kind of a spiritual ailment, whatever. It's good to know people are there and and they're praying, some kind of protection. Uh, But, you know, they're, they're weak they're weak in truth, weak in virtue. It's not God's will that you know women not have discernment. He wa- He wants them to have discernment. He wants men to have discernment. I'm afraid in the time that we're we're in, I think uh, in many cases the men are much weaker than the women, and the women have to be the the strength. But it, they creep in towards the weak. The task of the church is to make women, men, children. Strong. That's what we're here for. To glorify God and then for us to be edified, to be built up, to be made strong so that none of you would ever be deceived whenever you would hear that or see it pop up. I, I have so much confidence in all you guys I look here. I don't, I don't see anybody being led down that road. Uh, you know, captivating stuff. Um, but it can be. I mean, it's it's always a good warning. We can't ever say, "Oh, I would never do that." I would like to think I would never do that, but I, boy, the enemy could really do a number on me. But if we're grounded in good, solid Bible doctrine, if we know the truth, men and women and children, the truth will set you free. And from this case, from the the weakness of ignorance, these women are just ready. They're waiting for something to come to them. And somebody shows a little interest, and then they start learning things. I've seen where women want to learn things sometimes more than men do, and and uh, and that's good. I'm glad they. Want, but why aren't the men wanting to to know that too? So what do they do? Well, felt needs. They play on people's felt needs. I think that's the number one thing that people get into false teaching about. They have emotional needs. They have some kind of other needs they they need to have you know somebody like them to come in and, and feel better about themselves they have a guilt you know and so they they want to get rid of this guilt they're so vulnerable and so that's number 1 number 2 they are enticed with sinful desires it says here enter into households and captivate weak women 
weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. What's the idea? They play on the desire. They have a a learning. They're appealed to the pride. But also the the desires. Of course, that pride thing is coming up in that next line. But these guys can seduce the women. and, And that's happened in the past when their husbands were away, let's say, out of the house or whatever. Or it may refer to women who are led more by their emotions rather than by reason and self-control. And we know that women do have emotions. Men have emotions, but women can have emotions that are, that are even more so. And they're built that way. They're wired that way. God made them that way. And thank God they do have that because they need those kind of things to raise kids. And we need a balance, right? Men are emotional, but they may not be as, uh, as emotional uh, as, as women. And so we, we, we need reason, we need self-control at the right time. If they don't have anybody protecting them, what can happen? Boom, be led astray. And they, they like the knowledge. They're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They love books. They find out that they can, they, can, they can read stuff and learn stuff that they, they never knew before. But if they're following false teachers, what are they going to learn? They're going to learn some things that are not true. And they're knowing now more things than their husbands ever knew. Or if they don't have a husband or, or used to have a husband, they know a lot more than he ever did. And they have all of these sensational claims. Maybe some kind of uh, sensational prophecies. And they're getting these explained in great detail, which really is not even found in Scripture about. And they're allured by that. That kind of learning doesn't lead to godliness. And the word for uh, learning, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Knowledge. Epignosis. That means deep knowledge. The real true, true knowledge. They like the easy solutions, but they don't like a radical change in their life. They're interested in a cheap kind of gospel. They're attracted to some kind of religious teaching. Epignosis, they're not going to get into the deep things of God, a deep understanding of truth. So this person can be loaded with guilt, loaded with anxiety, wanting to know truth, just happen to turn on the TV and all of a sudden comes on this false teacher and he starts saying some things, things that are really nothing to do with the gospel. Where they come knocking at the door. Easy pray. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Just one epistle back. 2, 4 says... Who desires, it's about God our Savior, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what we want people to have, to come to the knowledge of the truth of Christ being God our Savior. The knowledge of the truth. That's really knowing God. Knowing Him intimately. This is eternal life that you know God. Know who Christ is, right? Look in Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-five. In our own epistle, we've we've been here recently with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, like some of these people. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, God is the one who's going to give them repentance, though, isn't He? We give them truth, leading to the knowledge of the truth. What leads to the knowledge of the truth? Repentance. That's what it'll get. Those cults, they don't teach repentance. Those soft gospel preachers, they don't preach repentance. They will never get the knowledge of the truth, will they? Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slowness. But it is patient towards you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. That's what we want. The, the Gospel is to drive us to repentance. 
to drive us to Christ. When we're driven to Christ, then repentance, faith, it's granted. So that's part one. Now we look at part two, the opposers of the truth in Second Peter or Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three. Among them, six are those who enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, the guilt, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now he gives the example. He gives an illustration here. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. Now, this is interesting. Now we know that we're not talking about Janus sitting out here, right? And you wonder where's Jambres? No, there's no way. Thankful that um, you know we we can take this truth and realize well this is how you interpret truth. You just read scripture, and this is how you know things that are uh, not right. And eases two names that aren't even found in the Bible. <laughs> and you say, what's going on here, Paul? Be biblical about this, Paul. You've been pretty good so far, and now you've come up with something that's not in the Scripture. Well, he uses this analogy. Interesting names. They're not even found in the Old Testament anywhere. But the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to put these two names here. Now, does Paul name names? Yes, he does. And every time that he gets into false things, he will tell you, not just generally, but he will tell you who they are. John will do that. We have to. He said, well, that's not very nice. You just need to tell what they believe. Well, how are we going to know who they are if we don't know who they are, Right? Oh, somebody says that, great, okay, that's out there, but who is it? I mean, you have to be careful. You have to use wisdom in that. Uh, but here he uses two guys out of old Test- out of the Old Testament that are not found in the Old Testament. But they and we can kind of take some um, books that were written at that time. I'll go back to that and and try to get some ideas here. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we know this to be true. We don't have any doubts about this at all. Uh, so I'll do the best that I can to help us with Janus and Jambres. And if it doesn't turn out to be right, you can't stone me. Is this the hottest day we've had yet? I'm thirsty. <laughs> Dehydrated. Jewish tradition. We can go back to Jewish tradition. Now, granted, we don't go there for our teaching instruction, but sometimes there's some Jewish tradition that can be helpful. We'll see if this can help us. Jewish tradition says they pretended to become converts to Judaism and joined along with the children of Israel when the children of Israel had left Egypt and it was there that the two led in the making of the golden calf. Now we know that Aaron was the one responsible and then the people followed with that. They all of them guilty. You know the golden calf issue where they're worshiping God and Moses coming down the mountain with the, you know, the Ten Commandments and then what does he see? He sees them doing that. What does he do with the Ten Commandments? He is angry. Well, these guys had a lot to do with that. Now, it's just tradition. It's in the Targum, the Jewish Targum. They were slaughtered after this, after the golden calf incident. Of course, you look at that in, in the, the Old Testament, and you'll see that that, that did happen to the Jewish people. Um, they were like, I guess you could say proselytes. They were proselytes. They had become Jews when they had been Egyptians. And they masqueraded. They were just masquerading like Jewish proselytes. Looking like it. It'd be dangerous, man. And they got people to worship the golden calf. And they were destroyed with others. Now that's Jewish tradition. Um, 
I have another one to offer, and this probably kind of goes along with that. I can tell you what Janus and Jambres might mean. And Janus, this is J-A-N-N-E-S, so I, it sounds like I'm still picking on Janus over here. Janus, I guess you could say. Uh, so they, um, uh, Janus means he who seduces. And Jambres means he who makes rebellion. So they were seducers who made rebellion against the true God. That's, that's pretty good, isn't it? Um, traditional names, obviously here the Spirit of God identifies them. Um, they were opposed to Moses, so we know it takes it back to that time. They mimicked the mir- uh, miracles, probably, of Moses and Aaron whenever they performed before Pharaoh. It wasn't by the power of God, but they did that, I think, for the first three probably kind of either by sleight of hand. When you see magicians, you go, wow, how did they do that? I know it's a magic trick, and I know it's not supernatural, but I don't understand that. Now, God can be supernatural at any time. But whenever He's got false people around, you know, who knows, however it's doing it, there are some things happening here. Could be by demonic power. Let's go to Exodus chapter 7, verse 11. Matter of fact, definitely the devil can do things that um, kind of mimics what God does. But he's always limited. Exodus seven eleven. of course, if you know the story of Exodus and the whole Passover, you can see why God let these magicians do their thing there in Egypt. In Exodus 7, we see that... Um, let's say verse verse 11 I hope I'm not missing too much here but uh, Pharaoh also called for wise men and the sorcerers and they also the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts it's kind of occultic could be something here a little bit on the other side of the super part um, each one threw down his staff they turned into serpents but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. <laughs> God always wins. Always. Uh, let's look at chapter 8, verse 18. Now this is after the three um, miracles had been done. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. There's the uh, where it changed. I think um, we we had seven eleven, and then seven twenty two. You will see another one. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. This is water turned to blood. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's like, hey, my guys can do it too. Big deal. So his heart hardens. You know, he hardens his heart. Of course, God's going to harden his heart. So you have the water turning into blood. They kind of mimic this deal. And uh, we look at chapter 8, verse 7. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the... Wait, 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 wait. Verse 7. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So there's three. Then you come to the gnats, and from there on, God doesn't let them mimic or do some of those miracles that it looks like. Look in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine. Second Thessalonians two nine. And as the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. Power, signs, false wonders. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth, so as we say. A deluding influence, right? And so they're able to do some things. Satan has constantly, continuously produced counterfeit preachers who claim to speak for God 
do some pretty astounding, amazing things to make it convincing. And, you know, we can have satanically inspired opponents. Right? And and be careful because they, if possible, can mislead the elect. But is it possible? If you're elect, you will not be led ultimately astray. Right? 2 Thessalonians 2.9 shows you the ones that, that will be. And so we go back to Timothy. What else do we see here as we move further into the text and get near the end? 2 Timothy 3 says, okay, you get the idea of who Janus and Jambres, and he's using that illustration, right? Just as they deceived people, look what happened to them. They were exposed. God exposes them. God is exposing false teachers all throughout the day. But the ones who desire to continue to be deceived will continue to be deceived. But we might have the opportunity to give them the Gospels and perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. But these guys oppose the truth. The truth, the whole shape of the gospel, the word of God. They're men of depraved mind. That's a condition of perversion, a corrupt state. They're unable to receive the truth which cleanses. The truth purifies. What do you think false stuff does? It corrupts, it perverts. Romans 1, 28 Romans 1 you're familiar with. Of course, that's the chapter that deals with uh, unrighteous people and then goes all the way down to the lowest level of uh, the homosexuality and such. And in Romans 1, verse 28, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, what does God do? God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Why are things being done the way they are in this particular epic that we live in? God finally has just given it over to them. There's always been homosexuals, but have you ever seen it in this kind of number out front? The homosexuals usually hid themselves. Never talked about it. What what, what was the term they used? The phrase, in the closet. They were always in the closet or down in Key West, Florida. <laughs> or in San Francisco. New Orleans. Chicago, Denver, Kansas City, St. Louis. Jeff City, Wardsville, Taos, Osage Bend. I just threw those out there. But that's true. Wow. What kind of epic do we live in? And now, you get the marriage. It's absolutely shameless. No shame whatsoever. Matter of fact, they're so bold now to tell you, and you're shamed if you have a different thought on it. And in a loving way, because it always says, with gentleness we correct this kind of thought. Look at verse 32 of Romans 1. And although they know the ordinance of God, they know it that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Yeah. Sure do. And all those rainbow colors over some of my Facebook friends. Those people aren't necessarily Christians, but there's some people on there that aren't uh, Christians, not even informed or anything like that, but uh, I was kind of uh, amazed to see somebody that was uh, close family-wise that had the rainbow on that picture. That's the kind of education they got. Ah, Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith Rejected. You know what that word means? Ah. What does ah mean in Greek? Negative. 
No. Right? Negative. Well, what's the other part mean? Dakimas. What is it? Did not pass the test. Dakimas is dealing with passing the test. With the negative over here, and that's what tests are for. God gives us tests so that it will show what is true. And if we're His, yeah, there's going to be some things He's going to knock off and praise the Lord, right? But what's real, and if, it, if we're truly Christians, it's going to be there. It's the gold and the silver is there because he, He's the one that's done it, hasn't he? he? It's His glory. Praise God. So those tests are good because it does prove what's genuine. And God, whatever is not genuine of me, I do want that off of me. And I bet everyone here, if you're a genuine Christian, I know you've probably said something like that. God, if this is not of you, if this is not of the truth, if there are things in my life that's not right, show it to me. Knock this off for me, please. You know, you've been there. Christians confess their sin. That's really what that's about. Here, Adakimas has not passed the test. They're worthless metal. They're worthless. They're unfit. They are unqualified. They are rejected. They are cast-offs. That's what the word means. Say, Dennis, you're sounding awful harsh here. Just using the text, says they're rejected in regard to the faith. They're cast off. God was, is never going to use them. You know, they can't speak for God. They're cast off. They're rejected. They're depraved. They're perverted. They oppose the truth. Second Corinthians thirteen five. And of course, this is good for all of us. And it's not good for doubting your salvation, but sometimes we need to take an examination. But this is definitely to people who would be in this situation. Second Corinthians thirteen five. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you, what? Fail the test. That is serious stuff. If we really let God put us in the test, God, you show me if I'm real or not. And all of a sudden, you, you start you know, comparing yourself with the, with the Scripture here, any amongst them. And all of a sudden, you're falling short in all this. In, in yourself, you will. You know, but in Christ, he says, that Jesus Christ is in you. But if Christ is not in you, you fail the test. You fall short. You're a sinner. God is in His glory. And He's the judge. And unless you confess your sin to Him, there's nothing but hellfire that awaits. This is really serious, as he's saying to Second Timothy. They are rejected. These particular people have been already marked out beforehand. And they are rejected by God because of their hypocrisy that they kept on doing. So then, now we come to part three, and this is really uh, this is only a few words. We're right at the end. It's the last verse, and this is victory, folks. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus's and Jamre's folly was also. Do you see why he uses Janus and Jamrys? A great illustration. It's so great, it's perfect because the Holy Spirit inspired this. Janus and Jamrys, what they did was deceive people. They deceived by false religion. That was looked like Judaism. Whatever. But eventually, it's going to rise to the top. People are going to see it. It's there. At least all Christians will identify that and they won't be sucked in by that you know these guys can suck the life of uh, the individual they can suck the life out of the church the joy out of the church the power out of the church they can weaken the testimony of the church but I want to tell you something they cannot damn the redeemed or the elect and if it goes all the way to the point where we don't ever see, it says they will not make further progress. God's going to let them go as far as He desires. And then He'll turn them over to their lust. And they will then turn their back on Him, walk another way, not repent to God. And that's where we have an apostate. A full apostate who once knew the truth, walked away, and God says, I turn you over. You are damned. You are judged. That's God's Word. 
That's what he says. I know that sounds harsh, but it's because they did all this damage. They start with the outward look. There was nothing inside. They, nothing can stop the work of God. As false things come right along the track and says it's Christianity, most of those guys that I told you about, I'll let God judge them. But whenever they say that Jesus was not God, whenever they say that Jesus died on, not died on the cross, but died in hell for our sins, if they make those statements, I really question and I will not call that person a brother in Christ. I would not pray with them because they have a different Jesus. They have a different gospel. And that's how far I go with it too because they're in this line. Whenever they deny that Jesus is the only way, they're not in the camp of Christianity. They say, Dennis, that's awful harsh. Tell that to Jesus. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. There is no other way for a man to have salvation other than through Jesus Christ. And, and whenever they say that He's not God, and you are God, almost all of these teachers that I was telling you about, I would put in that camp. You, you can't say those things and be a Christian. It's all about money. Empty religion will not triumph. They will not make further progress. Their folly is going to be obvious. I think as we sit here, their folly is obvious to us. I think it's, that's true right there. Just as Janice and Jambres. Well, the, the, the folly is senselessness. And it will be true to every person that's a true person of God. Look at Matthew sixteen eighteen. Here's the victory of God. Matthew sixteen eighteen. My. Um, okay, we'll do one scripture. We're out of here. Uh, uh, actually, I have a song. And Lord's Supper. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower. That means we come up. They're not going around with their gates trying to bash us. they got this false teaching. But we're coming up against the gates constantly, bashing it with truth. And it does get in. And it does get people saved. The Gospel does. And I'm thankful that every one of us here got overtaken by the Holy Spirit and the gates of Hades was prevailed by the Gospel. And God wins. God wins. And He continues to win. Glory, hallelujah. The truth marches on. The application is this. The church is in warfare. Number two, we have to be discerning. We have to test everything like the Bereans. Number three, we must be pure vessels. Number four, we must be patient. Gentle, kind to all. Father, thank You for this Word. May it really bring application to our lives, not just some kind of outward knowledge, but we'd realize what the enemy is trying to do to Your truth. And it's precious to us. Help us to hold on to it as these times are prevalent. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.